Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. And I love the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. We find that Jesus is both the goal and the motivation, and anything else will result in a serious disappointment. Make no mistake about it. We are after Jesus Christ in this life because He is everything that I need and will ever need in this life. They are captivated by Jesus Christ. They lift Him up. They esteem. They praise. They love Him in song. They love Him in prayer. They love Him in their study. They love Him in their conversation. This is not overly complex today. They love to get together and to magnify the Lord. They love to worship Him. Amen, amen. What a wonderful spirit. The presence of the Lord is in this place today. Thank you so much for being with us. We welcome all of our guests uh, here today. We're thankful that you are uh, with us. We just pray that uh, you feel the presence of the Lord. And uh, we're going to open up our Bibles. And I believe that every time we open up our Bibles, we should open up our hearts. Would you agree? Yes. Amen. I want the Lord to speak to me. I want Him to speak to you. And I believe that uh, He has a word for us today. Revelation chapter 2. So I want to draw your attention. Revelation chapter 2, verse number one is where we'll begin reading amen amen the Bible says to the angel of the church in Ephesus right The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. He says this, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. I just want to talk to us just for the next little bit uh, on this title, First Works. First Works. And if you'll help me today, I would let you be seated. There are some things about 
um, this church that was referenced in the scripture, the letter was written to the church of Ephesus. And there's some things about this church that I want to underline to highlight this morning. And as we're, as we're reading at, at the beginning, it sounds like this kind of church is, is a church that, that I want to be a part of, that I want, my, I want my kids to join this church. And let's look at it. What the Bible is saying about the church of Ephesus, it says that they're serious about holiness. Uh, the church at Ephesus, 65 to 70 years after it began, that's what this time frame, time, uh, time frame is, is still serious about holiness. It says that they, they work and they, they toil and they have patient endurance. They're, they're serious about what they're doing. They're serious about holiness. They're serious about uh, being doctrinally sound. And, I mean, let's be real, the only way you can spot a false apostle, a false teaching, is to know true teaching, right? right. To, to know the truth. And when you know the truth, you can spot uh, a false uh, apostles. You can uh, spot false teaching. And, and that's how you spot, uh, spot false teaching, to know true teaching. So someone has shown up and they say, hey, I'm an apostle. And they start to teach and, and the people are like, whoa. You, you, you're, not, you're not an apostle because what you're saying is not what is true. What you're teaching is false. So this, this church in Ephesus that I'm talking about this morning, they're doctrinally sound. They're, they're serious about holiness. And then look at verse 3. It says, talks about they endure. Everybody say endurance. endurance. Now let's think about endurance this morning. Do you know that none of the temptations that you and I struggle with are new to humanity? Right? Nothing, nothing, nothing's new. Just stop and think about it for a second. None of, the, none of the compulsions of the modern era are new uh, to the modern era. Uh, it, it's not like it's not like oh look at what has happened to humanity how humanity has really fallen off of the wagon humanity has been a train wreck since Genesis chapter three it's been a train wreck it's been it's been it's been broken if you get time this week why don't you just read through Genesis and, and, and you'll actually start to feel better about 2019 you'll you'll start to feel a little bit better about where we're at. So you have this church, this, this group of men and women that has all of these temptations that you and I have, the temptations toward anger, the temptations toward uh, lust, the tem- you, you, you name it, it's there. And, and on top of all of that is the temptation that at different times hits many of us, you know, should I walk away from the faith? It, that temptation is on a group of people that is being, hear me, tormented and persecuted by the prevailing culture. That's Ephesus. Let's be real this morning. No one in this room is going to have their houses looted today because you love Jesus Christ. Not yet anyways. 
uh, it's like, wow, really motivational, Bryce. But no one here is going to be arrested. No one is going to be killed. No one is walking through our doors and saying, you can't, you got to shut it down. You can't be doing this. Nobody is going to have to deal with that. But that's not Ephesus. On top of their own temptations, on top of their own desire to follow the Lord and to love the Lord, uh, on top of all of that, they have this, uh, they have this full force of this uh, uh, secularized, enraged, uh, Christianity-hating government uh, that is pressing in on them. And what Jesus says is, you've been faithful you have endured. You haven't turned your back. You keep moving forward. He's saying, I'm, I'm proud of you. He's kind of giving him a pat on the back. He said, I see you. I see what you're doing. You've been through it. Through the, through the culture that's, that's rising up against you, you have been faithful and you have endured. Again, if I'm like... Uh, if I'm looking to join a church, if I'm, if I'm searching for a church and I pull this one up on the website, Brother Hogan, and I see the words of Jesus, kind of like a little quote from Jesus saying that, that you have been faithful, this church is faithful, you have endured, uh, you face a lot of things, but that doesn't matter. No, matter, no matter what trouble comes your way, no matter what persecution comes your way, you have endured. At that point, I'm trying to figure out how do I join? Because I want to be a part of that group of people, right? I want to be a part of a group of people that's going to be strong, we're going to be faithful, and we're going to endure. Yet, when we keep reading, I believe that what we will find is that the assessment is so devastating, and it completely undoes all of that. It completely undoes all of what was just said let's look at it again jesus said nevertheless i have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love that's the assessment that's the critique they abandon their first love they left it they walked away from it in fact, the rebuke from Jesus says this. He says, remember the heights from which you have fallen. You were at one point in the heights and you're not in the heights anymore. You're in the valley and you chose it. You abandoned it. You turned. There's this, there's this rebuke that despite their seriousness about holiness, despite uh, their seriousness about doctrine, and despite their endurance, they're in danger of the presence and power of Jesus being removed from their midst. If I'm completely honest with you this morning, this is a very frightening portion of Scripture that, that you can be serious about holiness. You can be serious about doctrine. You can be serious about ferociously walking in endurance and abandon the love that you had at first and have fallen from the heights at which you began. What I want to do this morning is I want to underline the seriousness 
how serious of a deal this is because it's easy for us to go, yeah, yeah, Bryce, I, I, I get it, but it's just love. No, love is the point. It's not just love. Love is the whole thing. And this church had walked away from it. There's a teacher of the law. He comes up to Jesus in the book of Matthew. And there's this massive debate in the first century among the people of God about what the greatest commandment is. And like, like what's the whole point? What's the whole point of the Christian life? What's the point of law? And basically you had a group saying this is the point, And you had another group over here saying this is the point of the law. And you had another tribe over there saying no, this is the point of law. And so I love this, this guy. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to go straight to the source. And I'm going to find out what is is the whole point. And so he goes up to Jesus and said, tell us what the point is. And here's what Jesus said, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments uh, depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, so teacher, what's the great commandment? Because all these other people are saying one thing, they have their idea, they have their belief, and they're saying this and they're saying that. But what's the point? The response to what the point of the whole thing, according to Jesus, is to love is a love for God and a love for others. Amen. It is a vertical reconciliation that leads to a horizontal reconciliation that shows that Christ is everything. How many of you know today that Jesus is everything? Come on, how many of you know today that without Jesus, we can do nothing, we can be nothing, and we'll be headed nowhere? He's everything that I need. He's everything that you need in this life and the life that is to come. You know, there's some games that we play for fun and, and others we play for a prize. If a, if a fun game gets really hard, we kind of lose interest a little bit. You know, we played golf yesterday for a Sheets for Kais tournament. The first nine was not so pretty, so I just want to talk about the back nine. No, I'm just kidding. So we're on the first nine and it's just, not, it's just going really downhill. We're just kind of playing even and for four guys, that should not be the case. I was kind of just out there, you know, just for, you know, I, I really just wanted to donate to Sheets for Christ. No. I wanted to play some golf, but I'm not the greatest golfer. But, you know, there are some games that we get into and all of a sudden we lose interest pretty quickly. And we and that's kind of where we were. We were on the front. And I were like, man, you guys just want to like, can we just go grab a burger or something? Let's just like maybe if we leave now, they'd be like, man, those guys really felt bad about the other teams. They didn't really want to, you know, take it out on them. But that's where we were. We kind of lost interest. Then there's other games. We stick it out and we persevered, you know, through the pain and trial and we and setbacks because the prize is worth it. Now, I know that the Christian life is not a game, but it still requires a clear goal and a compelling motivation if we are to finish well. And I love the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. We find that Jesus is both the goal and the motivation and anything else will result in a serious disappointment. Make no mistake about it. We are after Jesus Christ in this life because he is everything that I need and will ever need in this life. He's the goal. He's the motivation. So, if a church loses love, they lose 
the point of what's happening. A church that knows about Jesus and does not love Jesus is a dying church and a church that will not be around for very long. A church that has knowledge of the character of God and does not find himself or herself captivated by the beauty of God is a church that is on the clock waiting for someone else to buy their building. Love is the point. Love for God. Love for your brother. Love for your neighbor. That's what Jesus said. In fact, you can see this everywhere. What drives out fear? What is it that drives out fear? Being brave? No, not according to the Bible. What drives out fear? Love drives out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. I ask you, do you want to battle fear? Some, some people are like, man, I'm so fearful in this life. I'm turning around every corner. Do you want to battle fear? It's not about being brave, but it's about growing in love. You don't conquer fear by being brave. You conquer fear by growing in your love. Love is what stabilizes our souls. Yes. Faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest is what? Love. Can we just agree that faith is a pretty big deal? Right? Yes. Faith, faith is a pretty big deal. Hope, what about hope? Hope is a big deal. It's, it's, a huge, it's a huge deal. And the Bible is going, faith is necessary. Hope is a gift of God's grace. But love is the greatest. In fact, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter if you know all the mysteries of the universe. You're just a clanging symbol. No one I have ever met has said, hey, cue up that song and, 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 and just play the cymbals together. Can you just stand over there and bang the cymbals as loud as you possibly can right next to my head? Nobody does that. No, no one says that. If you do, please come to the altar. The altar is always open, by the way. Think about 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak the tongue of angels, but I have not love. Church, love is the point. Love is why we've been called unto Christ. Then, then, then you have this threat here. I know people, you know, it's like, okay, we're reading about this church. He's talking about the church, and, 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 and they've endured. They persevered. They, they've got all this going on and stuff. They're, they're, they're faithful. And then you keep reading, and it's kind of like we have this threat here. And some people are like, I think that's kind of too strong of a word. I think it's too, you know, too strong of a... He's, he's really coming down to them. It's certainly not too strong of a word. It's exactly what's happening. He says, remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Or I'm removing your lampstand. Let me put it in a different let me put it a little bit differently for you. Basically, if you love to do Christianity without Christ, how about I just remove the presence of Christ and y'all can get on building what you're building? 
I know that's, that's not everyone's view of Jesus. We, we love to picture Jesus in a whole different light. We love to see Jesus, you know, in this, this glow, this kind of, you know, he's got wings and he's smiling and he loves us and we picture Jesus in that way. And then we, we read this, you know, I get it. Everybody's kind of like, I don't really know, you know, Jesus. I don't think Jesus ever gets upset about anything. That's what love means. When I see Jesus and he just, you know, says, I love you. Except it's not what love means. If you have children or anybody you love, you know that that's not what love means. That's why David says, the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. Why? Because they're boundaries. Yes. So Jesus here, he says, you want to do Christianity without me? I'll give it to you. Good luck. You want to do this without me? Go ahead. Let me remind you. Let's think back a little bit. Does God not say the same thing to Moses in Exodus? God, God, God lays this before Moses. You're a stiff-necked people, and I'm afraid I'll wipe you off the face of the earth. You can have the promised land. You can have milk and the honey. You can have wealth, and you can have your inheritance, but I'm not going. And what does Moses say? He says, then I'm not going either. Because if you give us all that and you don't give us you, Moses said basically, it's worthless. Oh, I wish that there were some more people like Moses. If God's not in it, I don't want to be a part of it. If he's not in that career, I don't need that career. If he's not in that relationship, I don't need that relationship. God, if you're not going, then I'm staying right here. That's what Moses said. I love it. Moses, Moses gets even a little bit, he gets a little bold. He's like, I'm not moving. You've already said that you're taking us, so you're taking us. If you, if you, if you read that, it makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes. Every time I, I, I watch Moses talk to God, I'm like, this dude is about to get lit up. And he doesn't. You know why? Because God values and loves an honest heart. Because he already knows it. He already knows it. He loves men and women who won't hide the honesty of their hearts. So let's go back to the church at Ephesus. Let's look at it. Let's look at what they did first. Talking about first works. They had fallen from the heights from which they were. They're not at the heights anymore. There were some first works that they stopped doing. So what exactly was it that they walked away from? Acts chapter 19 is a fascinating passage. The, the apostle Paul gets to Ephesus and he finds a small group of Christians who had John's baptism. And he asked them, what baptism have you had? And they said, well, we've been baptism unto John's baptism. And, and if you remember, if you're not familiar with it, John's baptism is one of repentance. And a little side Bible study for you this morning. These disciples in Acts chapter 19 who believed in Christ uh, had already been baptized under John's baptism. They readily obeyed the preaching of Paul. 
and submitted to the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. I, I would love for everybody, if I just come in contact with them, I just want to read them this one scripture, Acts 19, and I would just somebody say, just where's the baptismal tank? Where's the river? Where is the water that we need to get to because I need to be baptized in Jesus' name? I love it. These people, they, they, they already believe. They're, they're standing there in Acts chapter 19. They've been baptized under John's baptism, and Paul's like, hey, hey, you know, I, I, I get that, but uh, you, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Their example illustrates to me and to every single one of us uh, that have not taken on the name of Jesus in the baptism that they need to be rebaptized. All right. I was just speaking with someone just a couple days ago and they were explaining to me about a time that they were baptized and how it was a symbol of them becoming a member of the church. Listen to me. Baptism is not about you becoming a member of the church. Baptism is all about you taking on the name of Jesus Christ. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus name, my friends, you need to be rebaptized. Paul's question was like, have, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? To re, which they replied, what's that? And so Paul was like, oh man, you guys are doing it all wrong. And then all of a sudden, bam, the Holy Ghost falls and they're filled with the Spirit. Now, we, we've got our, now after that, we've got ourselves, Brother Hogan, we've got ourselves some real converts now. Okay, And then Paul starts to teach daily in the synagogue until some Jewish men begin to undermine and tax. So he's, he pulls out, he's out of there. And it was that Tyrannus, he, he reasoned every day, hear this, for two years preaching the word of God. Every day, two years. I, I, I kind of feel like I should never complain about teaching twice a week. <laughs> two years every day until the Bible literally says all of Asia had heard the gospel. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Then in the middle of all this preaching the word of God, there are these stunning miracles. People are starting to steal stuff from Paul. They're starting to steal his handkerchief and throw it on their, their, their sick uh, uh, person. And, and they, they, take his, they, take, they take his apron. I don't know if Paul was a cook or a worker. I don't know what he did. But they threw the apron on people and, and people were healed. Then he was just casting out demons right and left. All this is going on in Acts chapter 19. It's fascinating. There was, a, there was a Jewish itinerant exorcist who had seven sons, the seven sons of Sceva. They, they watch Paul cast out demons and they decide, man, that looks like a good time. That looks like something I would enjoy doing. And so they're like, we should try that. And so they go and they find a demonically oppressed person. And you read this. It's all Acts 19. I'm not making this stuff up. And, and then they say to this demon-possessed man, in the name of Jesus Christ, Paul's God. I command you to come out. And the demon comes out and he says to them, I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul. Which is, which is amazing to me. I don't know about you, but I just want the enemy to go, man, yeah, I've heard of this guy. I've heard, I don't know how you want to spend your life, but I want to be so surrendered and spirit filled that they're like, I'm not going this way. I'm going that way. Four believers with me this morning. That's all right. You got time. He said, I've heard of Paul, but who are you? I don't know you. I haven't heard of you. Then the Bible says that the demonic, demonically possessed man turns on the brothers and beats them bloody and naked so that they flee the house. Now, growing up in a family of five boys, there was times that we fought a lot. There was a lot of furniture that was broken. Okay? 
we're doing elbow drops off of the top back part of the couch, okay? That's just what boys do. My boys are now, I'm now, I'm now reaping that. I'm now the beneficiary of that, okay? And, and so, you know, sometimes if, if you've ever watched a fight, there can be a debate about who won and who did not win. But if you're wearing clothes when the fight starts and you're naked when the fight is over, it's just universally true that you lost. Can we all agree with that today? There's no debating who won this fight. I don't care if you had one wild crushing right hook and you're like, man, I got him good. I got that guy. You still lost your pants in the fight, which means nobody is talking about the right hook that you're bragging to it about all your friends. Okay? Nobody's doing that. You lost. That's in the Bible. I didn't make this up. Acts chapter 19. When that happened, the Bible says that all filled the land. That the Holy Ghost fell in such a unique way that the whole socioeconomic climate of Ephesus changed. Those who made money of selling of idols couldn't make money anymore, so they started a riot. That's what happened. Uh, here's what we read in the middle of all that. Acts 19, 17 through 20. This is all we have around their works from which they had fallen, which is what I want to talk about today. Their first works. Acts 19, 17 through 20. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Everybody say magnified. magnified. And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Just a few quick things that I want to share with you. The first thing you see, the heights from which they had fallen, they magnified the name of Jesus. They magnified. Another word for magnify is extol. They extolled the name of Jesus. Now since my guess is you have not used the word extol this week, anybody? All right, let me give you a definition. Extol means to lift up, to esteem, to praise. So whatever else they were doing, one of the works we see in Ephesus at the beginning is they are captivated by Jesus Christ. They lift Him up. They esteem. They praise. They love Him in song. They love Him in prayer. They love Him in their study. They love Him in their conversation. This is not overly complex today. They love to get together and to magnify the Lord. They love to worship Him. Someone shared a story a couple weeks ago about Brother T.F. Tenney who passed away not too long ago. And Brother Tenney said there was a young minister who walked up to him one evening after Brother Tenney had finished preaching. And he said, Brother Tenney said, I'm sorry for being late this morning, but I made it for the most important part, the Word. To which Brother Tenney kindly and wisely responded. He said, the most important part to who? 
The most important part to who? He said, God's favorite part is the worship. He said, God doesn't need the Word. He is the Word. You and I need the Word, but God desires the worship. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss one minute of God's favorite part of the service. I want to lift up and magnify and praise and exalt and extol the name that is above every name. Clap your hands unto the Lord today. The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. They extol the name of the Lord. But let's look at what else they did. I have to hurry. Give me eight more minutes. Acts 19 and 18. And many who had believed came and confessing and telling their deeds. So they magnified the name of the Lord. And they also walked in transparency. This is, this is not new to us. What you see them doing is confessing and revealing their practices. Now, confessing and revealing their practices means they were talking to other people about what it was they were struggling with. Being very, very transparent. You know, we can say, can you all pray for me? And we can agree that that is a confession. Like, hey, can you pray for me? There's something I'm struggling with. And, you know, or, 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 you know, we can say, confessing is something... But then there's this divulging of practices that I think changes the game. Again, use wisdom here. I'm not saying let's go and just tell all of our business to, you know, whosoever will or whosoever will listen to us. But there's this divulging of practices that, that kind of changes the game. Uh, and that's what they did. Like, like I can come to you and I can say I'm struggling and you're going, oh, Bryce is struggling. Let's pray for Bryce. But if I divulge, if I go, man, this is a part of my life where I really struggle with. This is exactly. And what, what this brings about is accountability, where we can hold each other accountable. And, 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 and now we're able to, to kind of slot in and lock our shield with our brother and with our sister. And we say, let's go at this together. We can battle this together but if all you know is I'm struggling it's like what can you do I, I get it. We can unknowingly pray. And trust me, I'll take that. But there's something about linking up with a, with a believer. Something about linking up with a brother or a sister and saying, I'll not let you fight this fight alone. But I'll jump in there with you and fight. Love is so important. They extolled the name of Jesus. They walked in transparency which brought about community, which brought about accountability. And they were also serious. I want to look at the last part. Serious about their sin as our music comes. Let's look back at the last part. It says, And a number of those who had practiced magic, Acts 19 again, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they, content, they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, just for the record, I'm not for book burning, okay? Uh, it's kind of it's silly a, a little bit to me, but I would emphasize this to you. The church at Ephesus wanted to not go back to what they knew would destroy them. Come on, come on. 
They were serious about their sin. I think so many of us think we have our sin under control. And when it's full grown, hear me, it will kill you. 100%. There are no small respectable sins. All sin when full grown kills us. It overpromises, it underdelivers, it betrays us and leaves us wanting. Yes. Growing up in southern Illinois, most of my some of my family was from Cesar and some of my family was was big into the rodeo kind of still are connected but I can remember as a a young kid being able to go to some rodeos and I still enjoy it you know if I get an opportunity like a state fair or something to go and watch but there's something that's so so crazy and wild about the rodeo anybody ever seen the bull riders before before you get up and leave I'm not preaching against bull riders but What they do is they strap themselves to a 2,000 pound animal and they open the gates and they try to hang on for eight seconds and they are confident, Brother Warren, they are confident that, that, that they, they've got their technique, they've got their draw, their experience, they are confident in those things that that's what's going to save the day. Yet I have seen far too many men get thrown off, get trampled, seriously injured. I think that's so like you and me when it comes to sin. I've got this. I can handle this. I know a technique that can manage this. Hear me today. You can't manage sin. It manages you. Sometimes the greatest, sometimes the greatest effect for the glory of Christ being shamed and your utter destruction, your sin will just nibble and nibble and nibble and you'll think, oh, that's not too bad. And then it'll nibble and nibble and nibble and you're like, oh, it's not too bad. I can deal with that. And it'll go again. It'll go again. It'll nibble again. It'll nibble and nibble. And then all of a sudden, hear me, you're gone. The church at Ephesus so loved Jesus that they burned it all. They saw it for what it was. It was worthless. There is nothing in this world that is more precious than Jesus Christ. There is no sin. There is no hobby. There is no relationship. There is nothing else that can take the place of heaven. Stand with me if you would. One more thing that is amazing to me is while all this is going on, they increased and they prevailed so that the word of God continued to spread. All of these things are connected. Being biblically serious and spiritually alive and being a sent people are interconnected. They're almost the same thing. They're not different things. They're one thing. What you and I need to fight for, what we need to contend for, 
what we need to pray around when all is said and done is that we are a church that magnifies and extols the name of Jesus that we walk in transparency that we take sin seriously and we embrace the call of God those first works are worth fighting for and these are steps that each and every one of us need to take you all are uniquely wired in a certain way you're drawn to some things over others not all of us have the same gift not all of us have the same ability but you have been called into this place gifted uniquely gifted and seen by God as an individual yet in the same sentence not to be seen individual uh, individually because you are part of a whole you are a part of the whole body not a single You have been called into this community filled with the Holy Ghost, gifted by God. And when all of us buy into that, you, my friend, have something special. You have returned to your first works. So I simply ask you today, what's your first step? Maybe this is a season in which magnifying the name of Jesus is something that you need to work on. Maybe you have felt your affections for God wane and maybe if you thought about it, you'd be like, maybe I haven't been transparent or you know what? I don't take sin seriously. I actually try to treat it as a pet and think I have it under control or maybe I have not embraced that God has uniquely wired me and called me for such a time as Liz to be a light in a very, very dark world. My friend, I just pray this morning that you get a hold of these first works today, that you don't walk away any farther. God has not called you to be a spectator. This isn't a conference. This is the body of Christ. So watch your step. Would you bow your head, close your eyes in this place as they begin to play and sing. I just simply push on you this morning. I press upon your hearts. We're not meant to be hearers of the word only. We're meant to be doers. We're called to do. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.